This past Thursday, as you know, was Thanksgiving, and there was a scene that I think was played out in probably millions of homes around the country. Here's, here's kind of like what happened, I think. Someone was waiting at the window, or someone was waiting at the door, or someone was working in the kitchen with an ear kind of tilted toward what was happening. Maybe, maybe they were standing at the door looking down the road, and every time a car came around the corner, or every time the phone rang, or every time a knock came on the door, they would run up and they would look and they would ask themselves the question, I wonder if they're here now. Because it was Thanksgiving and many, many people went home for Thanksgiving. I saw on the news that there were like 42 million people traveling over the holiday. That's a lot of people on the road and in the air. But the scene was played out over and over and over again. Because what was happening was somebody was waiting for a brother or for a sister or for a mom, or a dad, or a friend, or an aunt, or an uncle, or someone that they, they were just excited about seeing. And they couldn't wait until they showed up at the door, and they threw the door open. And, and you know what happens. It's probably happened to you if it wasn't this Thanksgiving at other times in the past. There's all the hugging, and the kissing, and the carrying on, and, and all the sharing, and the fun, and the laughter, and sometimes a few tears along the way. Because what was happening was somebody was anticipating it. They were looking forward to welcoming someone. But not just to welcoming them into their home, but to welcoming them to themselves. It's the concept of, I love you, I care about you, and I'm so excited that you are finally here. I've been anticipating it, and I've been looking forward to it, and I've been hoping for it, But now my hope is fulfilled. And that's the story that we're going to take a look at in Luke chapter 2 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me, if you will, please, to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to be in reading for you in verse 21. If you're following along in the Bible that's there in the chair, you should find it on page 725. And I want to spend some time talking with you this morning about people in waiting. People that are waiting. But, but not just waiting for someone else, another individual, another person, people that are waiting for God. You probably know some of those people in your life, some people that are anticipating and looking forward to and hoping that God will show up in their life and that God will do something. That God will intervene, God will act, and God will, God will do something in their life that no one else can do. And that's really the story of Simeon and Anna. Let me read it for you. I want to point out uh, a couple of things for you along the way. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. 
Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Now, here's the word I want to point out to you. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That word for waiting is really the specific concept that I I want to kind of focus in on this morning because it's the term, it's the idea, it's the principle that we were talking about just a moment ago. It's not just I'm standing here waiting, hoping something will happen, hoping something will be fulfilled, but it's the idea of eager anticipation to welcome someone to myself so that I can treat them hospitably. It's not just, oh, I'm, I'm hanging around and just waiting to see what's going to happen. But there is an anticipation. There is an eagerness. There is a, there is a looking forward to throwing open the door and drawing someone into my presence. It's, it's the idea of bringing someone to yourself to treat them hospitably. And doing so, waiting to do so with eager anticipation. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for the promise of God that is embodied in the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Or some translations would say that she was a widow for 84 years. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child. Now here we go again. The English translators used a different word, but it's exactly the same in the original. Because you see, Anna was just like Simeon. She was waiting as well. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, to all who were anticipating, to all who were hoping for, to all who were standing at the window waiting for the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. 
This morning I want to spend some time talking with you about this concept of people who are in waiting. And it could be anyone. It could be someone that you know. It could be someone in your family. It could be someone at work. It could be a neighbor. It could be a friend. It might be you. It may be that you are the one who is waiting for God to do something in your life that no one else can do. For the past month, we've spent some time talking about this concept of walking across the room. We spent some time talking about what it means to be the one who says to God, use me to share your love and your grace and your hope and your peace with someone that doesn't know you. And we've said that there are four foundational principles that we need to take a look at. We've said that there's a choice of the heart, that we all have to come to that place in our life where we are willing to be used by God to reach out to someone else, where we we take off the blinders of our own need and we take off the blinders of our own hurt and we take off the blinders of our own desire and we say, you know what, God, I'm going to get beyond myself. I'm going to get outside of myself and I'm going to make myself available and useful to you. It's a choice that we make in our heart. And then secondly, we said we had to develop a heart like Jesus. That most of us function under this misconception that says that what I need to do is wait for God to fill my heart with compassion for someone. And, and once He fills my heart with compassion, then I will make myself available. And then I will reach out to someone. Then I will help someone. And, and we said that's just the opposite of what Jesus did. What Jesus did was Jesus said, I'm going to, in obedience, do what the Father has called me to do. And as I do that, as I go, and as I see people in their need, then God will fill my heart with compassion. We need to act in obedience. We said that we have to choose to open other people's heart to Jesus. And that's a concept of two things. It is both what we say and what we do. Not enough to just talk about, to just mouth the words. But our words need to be validated by our actions of genuine, authentic care. And then we said that we need to make room in our heart for Jesus. We need to allow or make room in our heart for others. We need to allow God to reschedule and to recalculate and to reorient our days and our schedule, which at this time of the year can be pretty crazy, can't it? Things can get out of control very, very easily. But what we have to do is we have to say, God, I'm here and I'm available to you. Now, those are the foundational principles. We spent a month talking about that. So now what I want to do with you is I want to go beyond that. Assuming those things, assuming that we're going to say, God, I'm willing. Assuming that we're going to say, God, I'm going to, in obedience, go and allow you to develop a heart of compassion. Assuming that we're going to open our heart and other people's heart. And assuming that we are going to make room in our heart and in our life and in our schedule for someone else. Who, who do we reach out to? Who do we care about? We care about people who are waiting. People who, like Simeon and Anna, are in a place where they need God to come through for them. And that's what's taking place in Simeon and Anna's life. So let's talk about what that means. Simeon was waiting for what the Scripture calls here the consolation of Israel. Look with me, if you will, at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting. He was anticipating. He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Let's talk about that term there for just a moment. That 
that consolation of Israel. It is a title that is used for the Messiah. The promised one of God, the one that God had all the way through the Old Testament continued to say to his people was going to come, was going to provide for them the things that they needed. The one who was going to embody the love and the compassion and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. It is one of many different titles that is used for the Messiah. And one of the interesting things about the titles is that the titles that are used for the Messiah, the titles that are used for Christ, they each focus on a different part of his work. So when you think about it, you can think about the title that John the Baptist used, the, the Lamb of God obviously talking about the redemptive work of the Messiah, the one who was going to be the sacrifice for the sins of the people, in the same way that the Passover lamb was a sacrifice for the sins of the people in the Old Testament. You talk about the Lion of Judah. It is a title that is used for the Messiah. The Lion of Judah talks about one who was vigilant and one who was actively protecting and one who was actively a shield for the people against all of the oppressors. You can talk about the Prince of Peace a different kind of title that we use at this time of the year. It talks about the work of the Messiah as he brings peace to people's heart and as he brings peace to people's life. Each one of the different concepts, each one of the different titles focuses in on one of the different facets of the work of the Messiah on behalf of the people of God. Now, the other thing I want you to do is I want you to remember the culture into which Christ was born and in which Simeon and Anna lived. Because their culture is a little different than what we think about. They, are, they, they, they were born in, Christ was born in and they lived in the culture of the Messiah, or the, the culture of the, the day that was all about the law. It was all about the rules and the regulations that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had created. Remember, in the Old Testament, God had given direction for His people on how they were supposed to live, on how they were supposed to worship. And there had risen this, this religious class, this, this extra above everyone else kind of concept that says, because we are the priests and, and because we are the people of the law and because we can make the rules, we're going to tell all of you how you should live. And they took the ten commandments and they turned them into over 600 rules and regulations for daily living. Every single detail of life regulated by someone else. And by someone else who did not have your best interests at heart, but who had their own best interests at heart. Oh, they did it in the name of God. And they said, this is what God expects. This is what God wants. But underneath, there was always that edge of this is for us. Religious leaders defining everything for their own benefit and to the detriment of everyone else. And what was intended as a blessing, what was intended as the law which would guide the people into the presence of God was put into the hands of a group of selfish, self-serving people who created an entire culture for themselves that oppressed everyone else. And the law that was intended as a blessing had become an iron collar of burden and slavery in the hands of the Sadducees and the Pharisees such that Jesus would look at them 
as an adult and say, you are a bunch of whitewashed tombs and snakes. He wrapped a cord around his hand. He threw over the tables in the temple and he chased them out. See, this was a group of people that you couldn't trust because you would make him a loan and he would give as security for his loan the priest would a home or a parcel of land. And then he would not pay the loan back. So you would go to take the parcel of land and he would look at you and he would go, Michael, Michael, Michael. You don't understand. This parcel of land that I gave as security to you, my brother, I have now offered to God and it belongs to Him. And we all know that the law tells us that that which has been given to God cannot be taken back. And so you've now lost the security for your loan because I, in my righteousness and holiness, have given that security to the Lord. Isn't it good that I honored Him that way? And yes, as the priest, I still have possession of and use of this land and this security, which I will continue to guard for His care. Sorry about the loan. that which was supposed to be a blessing has now become a burden. The people are oppressed and they're tired. Scripture says Simeon was a man that was doing all he could. It talks about his character to fulfill the law. He had godly character. He lived correctly. He was devout. He was righteous. And he was careful to keep all the Old Testament laws as best he could. And he was waiting. Like everyone else, he was saying to himself, one day. One day the Messiah is going to come. One day God is going to show up. And when that day comes, God is going to set everything right. And we'll be able to worship the way we should worship And all those people who are serving themselves and not serving Him will be taken out of the picture. And He's waiting for it. It's called the consolation of Israel. The word means the encouragement of Israel. It talks about the the solace of Israel, the one who brings peace, the one who brings hope, the one who brings comfort. He's waiting for God to show up and do for Him and do for the nation of Israel what no one else would do. No one else could do. That's a term that kind of reminds us of that passage that we looked at a couple weeks ago in Matthew when the Scripture talks about Jesus saw the people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and He was moved with compassion. He's waiting for the one who would come and meet the people in their need And provide for them what no one else could or no one else would. What the priests were supposed to be doing 
what the, what the rulers of the nation were supposed to be doing, protecting the people, providing for the people, helping the people, encouraging the people. That was the whole intent. That was the whole purpose. But they had perverted it and they had twisted it. So that now, rather than serving the people, they were serving themselves. And they were waiting for, he was waiting for the promise of God. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 41. I just want to read for you just a couple of verses that put it into perspective because it talks about here some of what God is going to do on behalf of his people. Verse 40, I'm sorry, chapter 42. We begin reading in verse 1. It's a prophecy talking about the coming of the Messiah, one of those that I believe Simeon was holding on to. Here is my servant upon whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets of a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth the justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to His people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind to free captives from the prison. And to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. See, that's what Simeon was hoping for. That's what Simeon was waiting for. That's what Simeon was looking for. Take a look at this. Simeon's hope was for the Messiah to come and lift the heavy burden of religion gone wrong from the hearts of the people and bring word of a God that truly loved and cared for them. He believed when the consolation of Israel arrived that he would meet the deepest needs of their hearts and heal the deepest wounds of their soul. He knew when that happened, his hope would be realized, not disappointed. And when he held the Christ child, it was. You see, Simeon was standing at the window, waiting, waiting for the promise of God to come so that he could welcome him to himself and receive the fulfillment of all the promises, receive the encouragement, receive the help, receive the solace, receive the comfort that the people of God had always been promised. There are people just like that around us every single day, hoping that God will show up in their life and bring them the help that they need. Anna was waiting as well. She was waiting for someone different, same person, different facet of ministry. She was waiting for what the Scripture calls here in Luke chapter 2, the redemption of Jerusalem. Coming up to them at that very moment, verse 38 when she came to Joseph, Joseph, Joseph and Mary, 
she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. It's another title for the Messiah. It focuses on a little bit different aspect of his life and his ministry and his work. The redemption of Jerusalem is one that focuses on the redemptive work of the Messiah. You see, this is a term like the previous term that that kind of embodies not just an event, but a person as well. It focuses on this concept of redemption, which means to buy something back, to pay a price for something so that it is set free. Kind of like, um, does anybody watch Pawn Stars? Okay. You know, the interesting part is not a female hand went up. Only the men. Do any any ladies like Pawn Stars? Okay, a couple of you like Pawn Stars. Most of you won't admit it. I love Pawn Stars. I actually watched some Pawn Stars last night. What happens? You go in, you bring in something of value, and you give it to them, and they give you something back, a little ticket. They give you some money. And then when it is time to, what's the term called? Redeem it. You have to pay the price of what was owed in order to set it free, in order to get it back. That's exactly the term that is used here. There is a price that is owed to God for our sin. Romans chapter 3 tells us what it is. For the wages of sin is... What? That's pretty weak. The wages of sin... Is death. We have been sold as slaves into sin. All of the Old Testament history is about that. It starts in the book of Genesis with that little lie that is whispered in Eve's ear when she chooses to disobey. Thou shalt not surely die. And so she took the fruit of the tree and she ate it. And at that moment, she gave it to Adam. He ate also. We were sold as slaves to sin. And there is a price that needs to be paid for us to be redeemed. And what is the price? Death. And it's going to be paid one way or the other. You can pay it yourself, or you can accept that payment that Jesus paid on the cross. And so Anna was waiting. She was waiting for someone who would show up and pay the price. Someone who would show up and pay the price for her sin and for the sin of the people. And for the sin of the city, for the sin of the nation, and for the sin of the world. When Mary and Joseph came into the temple and she took the Christ child into her arms, that hope, that anticipation, that which she had been looking for, that which she had been praying for, that which she had stood at the window 84 years. Oh, well depending on how you read it, it was only 77. 
Most of us can't wait for God to show up 15 minutes until we think He's abandoned us. Right? She's been waiting decade after decade after decade. And the Scripture says she never leaves the temple fasting and praying all the time, looking forward to, anticipating, hoping that someday the one who will pay the price would show up. And he did. Psalm 130. Perhaps is one of those psalms that she was holding on to day after day as she waited. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord has unfailing love. And with Him, look at that word, is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Every single sin in my life paid for completely you see Anna had a hope as well Anna's hope was for the Messiah to come and redeem his people she knew her people were sold into spiritual bondage sold as slaves to sin and yet her hope was for something better She anticipated the day when God Himself would pay the price for the sin of the people and relationship would be restored. When she held Christ, she knew that day had come. You know, there are a lot of people today that are still waiting. They're waiting for spiritual encouragement and comfort. There are some people in your life. There are some people at your work. There are some neighbors that you have, maybe some people in your family that need that kind of spiritual encouragement. They've been hurt over and over and over again. You know there's an entire new term that has been created in our culture. You know what it is? It's called the de-churched. You know who the de-churched are? The de-churched are the people who have been involved in church at some point in the past or who grew up in church at some point in the past, but something ugly happened or something bad happened or something difficult happened. I actually had someone send me an article this week or I saw it on Facebook about, about people who have kind of walked away from church because they just quit and go, you know what, not going to do it, not worth it. There's an entire culture of people. They haven't given up on God. They've given up on us. And they're wondering whether or not 
There is a place. They're wondering whether or not there is a people who authentically love God and authentically love them. Some have been hurt by other people. Some have been hurt by churches. Some have been hurt by circumstances. There's a whole group of people who, who authentically believe that they've been hurt by God. I had a conversation with someone in my office this week who had some very, very difficult circumstances going on in their life. And they looked at me with tears in their eyes. They said, what have I done that God is so angry with me that He would allow this to happen to me? And so we had to process the idea of the consolation of Israel. Of a God who not only is not angry with you, a God who has not rejected you, a God who is not punishing you, but a God who stands at the window and watches like the prodigal's son, father, who saw him coming from a long way off and, and who has paid the price so that you can have a relationship with him. There are people waiting for redemption. They feel alienated from God. They don't know that God desires a relationship with them. They don't know that the price has already been paid. They don't know that all they have to do is simply kneel in His presence and receive the free gift that He offers. You see, that's our job. That, that's what just to walk across the room means. It means that somewhere in your life there is someone like Simeon or someone like Anna who needs to hear and see the grace and the forgiveness of God in a tangible way. And you and I are the ones who stand and raise our hand and say, here am I. Send me. You see, the four foundational weeks, those four weeks of principle, all preparation for what we're going to do in this month of Christmas. Christmas is one of the times of the year when, when people's heart is open. When, when, they're, when they're thinking about spiritual things, when, when if there's a gap in their life or, a, or something that's missing, they know it and they sense it in the greatest way. See, I almost didn't tell the story of people standing at the window this morning. People looking down the road and anticipating and hoping for and waiting for someone to come. Because here's what I know. I know that that, for some of you, is not your story. I know that. I know that for some of you, there was no home that you could go to. And there was no person that was coming to your place. There was no hope. It wasn't anyone that you were looking forward to. Because you were sitting alone. And I knew that as I started that story this morning, that some of you were thinking to yourself, not me. 
What about me? Where's my love? Where's my consolation? Where's my hope? Where's my redemption? That was the thing that turned me back to Christ almost 40 years ago. I remember sitting in a hotel room on Thanksgiving Day by myself. My Thanksgiving Day dinner. Because in that day they didn't have microwaves, much less a microwave in the room. My Thanksgiving Day dinner was a cold can of Campbell's soup eaten out of a can and a six-pack of beer. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Back in my father's house, the servants have it a lot better. Maybe I'll get up and go home. And I discovered a father, not an earthly father, because he's the one who dropped me off and left me there, but a heavenly father who welcomed me back home. And if this morning you need that, or you know someone who does, all you have to do is what Simeon and Anna did. Take him in your arms. Praise God for the gift. Let's pray.